God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Greg Backus, your host. We are into our second year of the Solution Radio Show. I am so very thankful to our Heavenly Father for His grace, His love, and His provision during this past year and His blessing upon the program. And I thank you too, the listeners, for your support. I really appreciate it. Jesus Christ is the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when he lived and walked among people, and he makes a difference today because he was raised from the dead and is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today, that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you, it knows no bounds. Today we will hear some wonderful music, read some of the Bible together regarding living life, believing God. Today we'll also have a testimony that was called into our praise line by Franny, a dear friend of mine, She shares about God's love and his working within the heart and life of his people. Our interview segment today is with John Nessel. John is an ordained minister, teacher, and author. He has been researching God's Word for over 35 years and has developed over a dozen weekend seminars and written several books. It's an interview I'm sure you will enjoy. Let's start off with this song, The Wonder of God's Love by Gene Meldrum. I was lost in sin, but the Lord, He took me in. Oh, the wonder of God's love. He has washed me clean, now I'm white as snow. The wonder of God's love. Oh, the wonder, oh, the wonder, the wonder of God's love. He has washed me clean, now I'm white as snow. Oh, the wonder of God's love. By no works of my hands have I earned this gift. It's the wonder of God's love. But the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and the wonder of God's love. Oh, the Sacrifice of our Lord 
of the circumstances of life. In other words, what if my decisions, my actions, my speech were not dependent nor controlled by the everyday pressures of life or circumstances we might find ourselves in? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Just this past Thursday afternoon, I was returning from a business conference in Las Vegas As we approached the Iowa-Illinois border, there was a great deal of thick clouds. As I looked out the window, it was impossible for me to see anything other than cloud soup. I could not see the ground. I couldn't see the blue sky or the sun. My vision was covered by the clouds we were flying through. Now, on the other hand, 
The pilot of the aircraft, who was looking at the same cloud cover as I, did not have his sight covered. He had instruments and gauges and radar in front of him that told him altitude, speed, the plane's position in relation to other aircraft, the plane's position in relation to the ground, and to our destination, Midway Airport in Chicago. The pilot, he was relying upon something other than what his eyes could see. He had a helper that could see through the clouds. His helper being the plane's instrument panel. If the pilot had decided not to believe the instruments, which gave him all the information he needed to safely arrive at the airport, you know, we probably would have crashed. If he had started freaking out because of the clouds not being able to see with his eyes, flying lower to get below the cloud cover so he could see the ground, he may have hit another plane or brought us too low to recover from a crash. The pilot's eyes the instrument panel. He trusted the gauges and the instruments. We safely landed at our destination, Midway Airport. On the other hand, my sight was blinded by the circumstances of the cloud cover. The pilot's sight was 20-20 vision in the same cloud cover because of his trust in the plane's instruments. The gauges, the instruments of the plane gave the pilot the direction he needed. He trusted his helper. I did not have the benefit of seeing clearly the way the pilot did. You know, in everyday life, many times it's much the same way. We are blinded by the circumstances we find ourselves in, resulting in frustration, fear, and defeat. Our lives crash. What if we were able to see and live beyond or through the circumstances and situations of life. Do you think that we might manifest totally different results? Might we have great joy and peace in the midst of adverse and evil situations? What if there was an instrument panel with gauges and markers that contained truth that we could live by no matter how thick the cloud cover of the negative circumstances of life might be. There is <laughs> our instrument panel for living a joyful, peaceful life is God's Word and the Spirit of God which resides within His children. We no longer need to be tossed to and fro by the circumstances of this life. We no longer need to live in fear and frustration, crashing every other day, destroyed because we lack a knowledge of God and His Word. Our compass, our altimeter, our gauge is always accurate and will never cause us to be lost or confused. If you have a Bible handy and would like to follow along, let's uh, start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. There's a marvelous truth here. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 states, For we walk by faith, not by by sight. We walk or we live our lives by faith, or faith could be better translated, believing. We live by believing God's Word, not by our sight, which comes from the circumstances surrounding us. The amplified version of this verse, I really like this. Let's listen to this one. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7 from the Amplified Bible. For we walk by faith, not by sight, living our lives in a manner consistent with our confident belief in God's promises. What a wonderful translation. We are confident in God and the promises of his word. We hold on to and we never let go that which he has promised. When we are sick, we go to God's storehouse of healing wholeness and we walk out confidently knowing that we have been healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. We look to the healing that's available and believe in God's healing deliverance rather than embracing the pain of the circumstance. When we are in financial need, we approach the throne of God making our request known, knowing that God will supply all that we need through Christ Jesus, because God is able to make all grace abound towards us. He is the great provider. When we have guilt and shame, we turn our hearts to a loving Heavenly Father and He just so graciously comforts and forgives. We trust in the truth that God has made us acceptable in the Beloved and that He has made us righteous in Christ. We allow Him to tenderly comfort and encourage. The circumstance is not the end result. At least it surely does not have to be. The end result is the deliverance found in our relationship with a loving and kind Heavenly Father. And His promises come to pass as we trust Him and believe Him. There may be times when we don't see deliverance in the midst of the circumstance. Still, that does not define the value of you, the individual, nor does the circumstance define God. Our value is found in Christ and in Christ alone. God, he is defined by his word, not by my circumstance. Let's take it even a step further. How do you see the drug dealer or the gangbanger on the street corner? Do you see them as God sees them? As the young pastor or evangelist who hasn't yet seen from God's perspective the life that they've been called to. They don't yet know their value. They're really called to the streets to preach God's word, not to deal drugs and not to gangbang. Possibly you're the one that's been called to show him or her their value in Christ. How do you see your coworker? You know, the one that irritates everyone with their complaining, vulgar mouth and their hardness of heart? Do you see them as God sees them? As his child, tender and beloved? No longer beat up by the world around, but tenderized by the love of God? Possibly that co-worker, they come to know the love God has for them because of the love you give to them. That's seeing through the circumstance to the promise and deliverance of God. You know, Abraham, he was a man that lived by believing God rather than by sight. He was about a hundred years old 
when he and Sarah had the promised child from God, Isaac, who would be the bloodline for the promised Messiah. Let's look at Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. It says here, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in believing, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him, or reckoned to him, righteousness. The promise that God made to Abraham was that he would be the father of many nations, and that from his bloodline would come the promised Messiah. Abraham did not stagger in his mind or doubt through unbelief. Rather, Abraham was strong in believing, giving glory to God. He could have stayed focused on the circumstances. He could have moaned and wailed, Oh, poor me, because I'm almost a hundred years old, and Sarah's ninety, well past childbearing age. Had Abraham stayed focused on the circumstances, and not looked to the promise of God, well, they would not have had the child that was promised from God. Their believing God's promise gave glory to God. God performed the impossible. Impossible only to man because of his own inability, but not impossible to God. In verse 21 there, it says that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform. Abraham was absolutely convinced that what God had promised would come to pass. God has the power and he has the resources to bring to pass what he has promised. God hasn't changed. He's the same as he was in the days of Abraham and he will do the same for you and I. He will honor his word. He will bring to pass his promises as we become fully persuaded, trusting him, believing him. You know, Abraham, he could have dwelt in the cloud of doubt and unbelief. He could have, but he chose not to. He chose to believe God. It's just no different for you or I. We can remain in the cloud and the lies of doubt and unbelief and never see the promise of God come to pass. Or we can become fully persuaded, doubting absolutely nothing, believing that our Heavenly Father will bring to pass that which He has promised. God is faithful to His Word. God is trustworthy. He is always loving, kind, and gracious. God is worthy of our praise. Let's see through the circumstances of our life to the promise of God. Don't dwell on the circumstance. See through it by holding on to God's word in your heart and in your mind. Trust and believe. God will not fail you. He desires only his best for his people. Bring to your remembrance, your conscious mind, time and time again the promise from the word of God. Don't get talked out of it. Think it. Speak it forth in the face of sickness, poverty, depression, or need. You get to the point that you are fully persuaded that God is able to perform that which he has promised to you. 
if you doubt that it will happen, and if you give up, well, then you probably will not see the desired deliverance. Keep your heart and mind focused on the truth. Let distractions and lies fall to the side while you, with a laser-like focus, stay fixed on the promises from your Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 contain some wonderful truth. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This cloud of witnesses here in verse 1 is referring to the hall of fame of believers listed in Hebrews chapter 11. By believing, they stood faithful to God. Some received deliverance, some did not. But they all received a good report from God, and great will be their reward throughout all eternity. Let's look to their example of believing. Let's set aside the weight of life and the sin, which at times seems as if it's all-encompassing, ready to swallow us whole at any moment. Set it aside. Run with patience the life that God has set before you. There is really only one way to live for God, and that way is found in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, Jesus, he is the beginner and the completer or perfecter of believing God. Jesus Christ believed God to the nth degree. He trusted that his heavenly Father would raise him from the dead if he died for mankind on the cross. Jesus endured the cross and the shame because he loved, and he had great joy set before him. What was it that his father showed him that gave him great joy in the midst of excruciating pain and humiliation? It had to be something wonderful for him to have given his life as he did. He saw through the circumstance to the promise of the father. Today, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What wonderful reward for believing God. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Here the Apostle Paul, writing, speaking by revelation from God, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, this is verse 13, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Paul states here in Philippians, that he is not yet one, though he will eternally at the return of Jesus Christ. But the one thing he does do is forget the past, and he reaches 
for those things which are before. What are those things which he's reaching for? Well, it tells us right there in the context part of it, he pursues after the goal, the target of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul does not look at the circumstances. His sight is not blinded by the clouds of life. He is focused on his calling in Christ. He is pressing toward, pursuing, not relenting for one moment, giving his all in service to God. Verse 15 says, Let us, as many as are mature in Christ, think the same way. Wow, what an example we have in Paul. We are encouraged to be imitators of him at other places in Scripture. Why? Because he was an imitator of Christ. And it says there, if you be otherwise minded, God works within you and he will show you where he needs you to serve and give. What a wonderful life we have been called to. It's to be a life of service that sees beyond the day-to-day circumstances of life. Our focus, our sight is on God his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his Word. We are not to be easily distracted, or even distracted at all. We hold on to and speak the Word of God. We live as he directs our hearts, as he works within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at verse 35 through 38. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence or your boldness of speech, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not wait any longer. Now the just shall live by faith. Don't throw away your boldness in speaking and believing God's word. There is great reward for you in believing God. Continue to remain patient and just bear up under those difficult circumstances without compromise. Serve God knowing that there is promise of great reward. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is returning. Could be today could be tomorrow, maybe not another hundred years, but it will happen, and what a glorious moment that's going to be. Until then, we the righteous ones in Christ absolutely should live our lives by believing God. We see through the clouds of circumstance in life to the end goal of glory at God's right hand in heavenly places. This is Franny Hickton, and I wanted to share a testimony of something that happened to me, oh, two, three weeks ago. I had gone to see my sister in Indianapolis, which is about four hours away from my house. And I had really only planned on staying till Sunday, but extended that time till Monday. And as I was driving home, I was thinking about um, how good God was and just praying, you know, asking God to work in my heart to do whatever it was that he desired. 
to have happen with his people and that I would be willing to listen. So I'm talking with him and and I was also talking to a friend of mine and she had to go. So I got this idea to stop at this uh, little town called Rome City, Indiana. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to go to Rome City. I used to live there years and years ago. So I knew there was nothing really happening there. So I passed up the first exit and kept going. And then I just couldn't get this Rome City out of my mind. So I drove to the second exit and passed that one up too. And then I just said, Father, I don't understand. If you want me to go there, then I'll go. And then I had one final exit that I had to take to be able to get there. And, and by that time, it was several miles out of the way. But I did go. I felt very strongly that I should. Got off the exit, and I'm driving out in the country. And I finally get into town. And Rome City is a very small town. And I'm there, and I'm saying, OK, God. What do you want me to do? I'm here, but I don't know why I'm here. Oh, I forgot to tell you this part. When I got up that morning, I hadn't bothered to shower or brush my teeth, nothing, because I was just going in my car to go home, so I was kind of in a hurry. So I looked like a crazy woman, and my hair is sticking up, and I really did look like a crazy woman. So anyway, I get back into town, and... I start driving, and I turn left at this one street, then I go down a little further, and I turn right on the other street, and I'm still a little bit confused, not sure I'm supposed to be there, and all of a sudden I saw this church, and there were several cars in the parking lot. So I pulled in, went inside, and when I came into the church, there were 12 people sitting there together, they were all praying, and the only thing that I heard was, God, please, we, we would really like to understand this, so thank you for answering our prayer. Then the man that was praying looked up and he said, can I help you? And I said, hi, my name's Franny, and you're either going to think I'm really crazy or God has sent me here for some reason. And he looked at me and he said, do you know anything about speaking in tongues? And I said, well, I know a little bit. And at that point, my heart was on fire. So I ran out, I got my Bible, came in, and for the next hour and a half, we just went to God's Word concerning the manifestations of the Spirit. And these people have been praying together for weeks and weeks because they have a hunger to know about what God has given us to empower us. So when we were done, um, I said to the pastor, his name's Pastor Ray, all right, you're up. And he looked at me and he said, what? And I said, well, what's the point in having all this knowledge if you're not going to put it into practice? So we went through the mechanics of how you speak in tongues. And again, remember, they're looking at a person who looks like she's crazy. My hair's a mess. I'm a mess. They did not care. They knew that God was answering their prayer. 
they did not look at the outward flesh of me. It was so electrifying. So then Pastor Ray stood up and he began to speak in tongues like a house of fire. And then the other people in that fellowship, they also spoke in tongues. Every single one, it was just electrifying. But as I was driving home, and I did have to pull off at a certain point because I was just so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that he would send a person that didn't even know these people to come and be able to minister to them because of their great desire to love him and to know about him. And I've kept in touch with that church and they're they're on fire because they realize that God is a God of deliverance. He's a God that answers prayer. He's a God that so desperately wants a relationship with us. So I know it's kind of a long testimony, but I think it's a great testimony of God's love for his people. So no matter what you're praying about, just expect that God is going to answer you because he hears every word that you speak. So I love you. God bless. Our guest today is John Nessel. John is an ordained minister, teacher, and author. He has been researching God's Word for over 35 years and has developed over a dozen weekend seminars which he teaches throughout the country, including Old Testament history, growing in God's power, working the Word, survey of the Gospels, One God, Who is Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount, and leadership in the body of Christ, among others. John resides in Indiana. I'd like to welcome John Nessel to the Solution Radio Show. Welcome, John. Hello. God bless you. Uh, it's great to have you here with us today. Uh, John, can you tell us a little bit about your testimony of when you became born again? Well, yes. Um, uh, I was a very angry young man when I was a teenager. I had been bullied in school severely for over a decade, and I was just angry at the world. Uh, in fact, um, I rejected anything having to do with humanities and centered on sciences. When I was in college, they had to force me to take humanities classes. I was just about ready to do, quote-unquote, breaking bad. Hmm. I was an organic chemistry major. I had everything I needed to synthesize drugs. All I needed was one chemical called um, 345-trimethoxyphenylacetylnitrile. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> but um, one time I was in a, my duplex in Toledo, Ohio, and heard a commotion upstairs, and I thought it was a party. So I decided I was going to crash this party. It turned out to be a Bible fellowship. And so I rang the doorbell, and a girl's voice answered, and I said, hey, can I come up? And she said, Yeah. And so I came up, and before I had a chance to do anything, while I was still on the stairs, that girl spoke by revelation and didn't know me from Adam, mm -hmm. but she spoke by revelation and by inspired utterance. She said that God would do A, B, and C for me. And those A, B, and C things were things I agonized over for years. And then I looked over 
and I saw the most beautiful women I'd ever seen in my life. They were mature Christian women who just exuded wisdom and power. I just never had seen anything like it. It was almost like they had halos. They didn't, but but mm-hmm. it, was, it was like I, I felt like they were so special. And then they handed me a Bible and taught me uh, Ephesians and Colossians. And after that, I went to every fellowship I could, every day of the week I could, and it completely changed my life. So that's how I got involved. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful, and that that's really awesome that that young lady at the door spoke those words to you, and I uh, assume that they've come to pass? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great. Well, now you've written four. Well, you've written several books, but specifically four books on the sermons of Jesus Christ: uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, and the Sermon in the Valley. And I've read all four of those. Actually, just finished volume four a couple days ago on the airplane. An excellent book. Can you give us some of the background of why you chose the sermons to study and write about? Sure. Um, one of the major quests of my life has been to get to know my Lord Jesus Christ better. And the ministry I was in majored on Bible research and the integrity of God's Word, which was a very good thing. However, one of the negatives was they they only majored on the epistles, saying, you know, they wanted to look at things that were written to us as Christians, and they thought that the Old Testament and other books were not directly written to us, they were written for our own learning. And so because of that, the Gospels, believe it or not, were kind of Mm de-emphasized. And when I decided to move forward with my quest to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Gospels were just begging for me to take a look at them, and I had developed hermeneutic techniques on how the Word interprets itself in the verse, in the context, or principles were used before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I decided to unleash all the things that I had learned and the systematic way of, of you know, going through Scripture that I had practiced for years, and I decided to do them on Christ's greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, later on the Sermon on the Plain, and then what I call the Sermon in the Valley, which is John 13 through 17. And they just exploded. I remember when I was working on the Beatitudes, I got lost in the Bible for three months. It was the greatest experience of my life, hmm. coming to understand all that stuff. So they, they just exploded. So that's why I decided to get into those books and, and to share what I had learned, and it's different from some of the other approaches to them, because most other writers have approached it from a subjective point of view, writing wonderful things that have blessed believers for years. I decided to do it from an objective point of view, trying to discover Jesus's intent for his sermon, and things really opened up for me, as you can attest by having read them yourself. Right. They certainly opened my understanding to the ministry of Jesus Christ and and just the receptivity of the common people of that day and time to receive the words that he spoke. Yes. 
Now, I know that your heart in communicating uh, the books that you wrote on those sermons was to communicate what was originally intended when Jesus Christ spoke those words. Uh, what in the scriptures stood out to you as possibly the most profound truth that Jesus Christ communicated in those sermons, if it's possible to choose just one truth? The, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' manifesto. It was what he intended. He was his lesson plan for the Gospels. Uh, but the one thing that impacted my life the most was love your enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. And when I first understood what Jesus said about loving your enemies and praying for them, I thought he was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so I really did. But then, of course, as I developed my love for God and his word and his son and became a, a Bible researcher, I mean, it, it was just how things worked out with my abilities. I became ordained, and then I said to myself, well, if I am going to be an ordained clergyman, I better be able to explain the company line, <laughs> yeah. and which is love your enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. And so I had to study that. I had to work it really deep to understand it. And, you know, they, they had that one scripture about the, uh, you know, you have to take the beam out of your eye before you can help the guy with the speck in his eye. Right. And many times when people relate that scripture, they relate it from a judgmental point of view. Oh, you have a beam in your eye. Well, but there's one little thing in that scripture that most people don't see, and it is that the guy who succeeds on getting the beam out of his eye is able to help the other guy get the speck out of his, mm. because the people with the beam who need to learn the word more deeply to help overcome that impediment they learn the word more deeply and are able to help a lot more people mm -hmm. because they've been there and done that and had to deal with all that. So when I got into trying to study how to love my enemies, I, I, I learned that the only way to overcome evil is with good. Mm -hmm. You can't out-evil evil. You just make the waves bigger. So retaliation and revenge and all of that stuff only hurts you because most people who don't forgive the person who offended them is far away and long gone and how they think is not affecting that offender at all but it sure does affect the victim and they we all reside in victimhood and and and, and think all those ideas of revenge and everything and all we're doing is hurting ourselves so God provided a way that we can work our way through the whole thing, and he'll come to bear and help us through the whole thing. And the way to do that is to pray for them that despitefully used you. Every prayer you pray heals you. And also, it intercedes for the offender, like Moses interceded for the wayward children of Israel. And it's very effective, because then God goes to work to confront those people many times. And you may never know it, but he does do that. But you get healed, and that's the main thing, where you can get back to the place where it is as if you had never been hurt in the first place. 
I know some things are terrible that have happened to people, but God will work, and he will do it. So we just need to do what the Bible says and what Jesus taught, and when we do that, we will become more like him. So there's, there's that in a nutshell. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful truth and very practical today for myself and our listeners. Uh, now, one of the sections that I was just amazed by is in the third volume, uh, where you show from the scriptures that each age or administration of God begins with phenomenal audible words or sounds from heaven. Could you share some of that with our listeners? Sure. Um, this That doctrine of that the times of the Bible are divided into seven ages or administrations, it's called dispensationalism in theology, and some people don't like dispensationalism. Um, I think they've attached it with uh, Zionism, with saying that dispensationalists are trying to bring to pass the events in the book of Revelation by supporting Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has nothing to do with that. Uh, I don't advocate trying to be the finger of God to bring about prophecy, because whoever tries to be the finger of God gets the whole hand of God against them, like Judas and others. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think that dispensationalists are Zionists. That's a bad attachment. But um, when I was studying the ages in the Bible, it was obvious that Adam and Eve didn't live by the law of Moses. Right. And you know, there's other things that were fulfilled when Jesus Christ died for us that we don't have to do now in the Church. So there are definitely different relationships that man had with God, and each of them is in a different age. So when I began looking at the ages, uh, I suddenly realized that each age was begun with audible sounds from heaven that were phenomenal, in the sense that they weren't just revelation in someone's head, they were physically audible, just like uh, when Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul heard a voice, the others that were with him heard a sound, okay? Another time there was an angel from heaven in John 12 that spoke to Jesus, and um, he heard the voice from heaven, and other people said an angel talked to him. So it was physically heard, and what's remarkable is each of the ages actually begins in that way. So um, after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, Genesis 3, 8, they heard of the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. That was the first one. And Well, actually, the first one was, and God said, and God called, and God said, and God called in, in Genesis 1. But um, Adam and Eve didn't have the spirit anymore. They had lost it, because God said, Thou shalt surely die, and they died spiritually that day. So they didn't have spirit, so they had to have heard that voice by some kind of phenomenal concretion. And so if you look at all the different administrations, it is incontestable when they begin and when they end, because each one is marked in this fashion. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's that in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, that's a wonderful truth. And I know, too, in one of the volumes you mentioned uh, the different aspects of Jesus Christ's ministry, like his baptism, his transfiguration, and how those, too, were marked with audible sounds from heaven, from God. 
Right, right. Now, the, the second part of that is that I noticed there were seven phases in Christ's ministry, some of which were indeed inaugurated in the same way, with a voice from heaven. The difference between them and the ages or administrations is that with an age or an administration, the uh, a man's relationship with God differed. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, we we have to get born again, like it says in Romans ten nine in Christianity today. Well, they couldn't get born again in Moses's time. Another thing I just realized within the last month is also in in each administration, Satan's role differs hmm. in a way. Interesting. Too, and you'll see that if you look at each of them. It's fascinating. But of course, we want to focus on our side of things. Right. <laughs> but the phases of Christ's ministry are, are fascinating. And in my fourth book, The um, uh, the Path into Eternity, when I looked at those phases, it led me to the book of Hebrews that mentions Jesus Christ, our Apostle, and Jesus Christ, our High Priest, which are two of the phases. And I realized that the entire book of Moses, or of Hebrews, the um, main theme is regarding these voices from heaven that began each administration and many of the phases of Christ's ministry. And the primary phase that's discussed in Hebrews, of course, is Jesus Christ, our High Priest. That is not uh, featured in some Christian ministries. I think that they need to read the book of Hebrews in that light, and it'll help explain that principle. Okay. Well, now, John, I know that you believe in the operation of the power of God, and you've traveled the United States teaching and ministering God's Word to many people. Is there an incident that stands out in your heart and mind where you saw the mighty hand of God bring deliverance to someone? Oh, sure. I, I was down in Florida one time, and this woman was in one of my teachings on, um, I think, the Harmony of the Gospel, the, the Survey of the Gospels. And she came up to me and asked me to pray for her, and I, I didn't know her from Eve, and immediately I knew what to say. And so I told her in the name of Jesus Christ that she's not dirty anymore, and she visibly changed right then. She broke out crying, and, I mean, what God told me to tell her would just just hit her in the heart, and I ministered to her, and she became a changed woman. I learned later that she had been violently raped, and it had affected her whole life for years, and she felt she was not worthy of a genuine relationship because she was damaged and she was dirty, and so she would she had a need for help, for love, for companionship, but she was looking for it by doing one-night stands at bars and all this other stuff. You can imagine all the terrible things that happened, but when I told her that in the name of Jesus Christ, she was not dirty anymore. It it totally changed her life. And that woman today functions like an evangelist. She is tremendous. And it all came from that one time that she got prayed for. I'm sure there were other ministers that helped her too, but it was it was amazing to see the change in her life that occurred. 
the love of God reaches deep into the heart and cleanses and, and purifies and makes righteous. That's for sure. Well, in closing, John, what's on your heart today that you would like to share with our listeners to encourage them in the things of God? Well, here I am. I'm a Bible researcher and a teacher, and I didn't start out that way, although my whole family are teachers. We have professors and school principals and ministers in our family, and my father was a teacher. But everyone has a ministry, a service in the body of Christ that they can do, and once they do it, they're fulfilled. And, you know, a lot of people are waiting around for God to push them over the edge, or they're asking God, tell me, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And my response to that is just get busy. Just get busy in your church, wherever you fit, helping people, gravitating to need. Just keep your eyes open and keep your heart open and help people. Because when you do that, there will be a time when it's just like you're at the plate and they throw the ball and you swing the bat and you hit the home run. Now, not every time that we swing the bat, we hit the home run. But when all the mechanics are right and you hit that ball on the sweet spot of the bat, you know it. It just feels different. Mm-hmm. And boom, that ball, that ball just takes off. There will be times when you're ministering, when you're helping any way that you can, that that'll happen. You'll hit the sweet spot, and boom, you'll see it. And if you are sensitive to that or observant to that and try to recreate it the next time, you know, get busy, do the same things, get involved the same way, with the same heart, you'll come to know how God works in you, and you'll gravitate to your ministry in the body, whether it's a worker or a teacher or a pastor, or an encourager, or a merciful one, or a giver. Uh, You might be adept at some of the manifestations of Holy Spirit and end up being a miracle worker or a healer. But it all starts with just getting busy, because God rarely will tell you what your ministries are. Of course, if you get ordained, it'll be in the prophecy many times, but you don't start out getting ordained right at the very first. I think the Apostle Paul is the only one that experienced that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'll find out what you're good at by just getting busy, and then when you do that, you'll be so full of joy, because you'll be fulfilled, and you'll know why God called you. And that's the greatest feeling in the whole world. Wow, what wonderful, encouraging, inspiring words. Uh, What a way to live, just to minister and serve. Yeah. Well, in, in closing, John, what would be the best way, uh, if our listeners would like to get a hold of you, to either order some of your books or your audio teachings, or have you come and speak at their church or their Bible study? Well, I think the easiest way, uh, I am on Facebook, John Nessel, N-E-S-S-L-E. You can email me at jmnessel at hotmail.com. Audio teachings, uh, there's a whole bunch of MP3s that are on a website called godstream.com. That's two S's, G-O-D-S-S-T-R-E-A-M.com. They have MP3 files for many great uh, ministers 
Another place you can go is at cffm.org with um, Christian Family Fellowship Ministry and go to the teachings area and then you can search by teacher. Also, I'm forming a website called nextreformationpublishing.com and I'm going to have that on there. I'm not done with that yet. And then you can talk to me about if you have questions or if you want to order books. Of course, they're available on Amazon.com as well and Kindle. Weekend seminars, I have over a dozen that I'll do, and I'll teach anyone. There's no fee for the seminar. I just receive a donation honorarium at the end from everyone. And whatever they give is whatever they give, and I'm blessed. (laughs) That's great. So that's what I do with my teaching. Well, I'll put a link up to all those locations on our website. And uh, I really thank you, John, for your time today. I really appreciate it. A wonderful insight into God's Word. Uh, God bless you. Thank you very much, and God bless you too. Thank you for joining us today on the Solution Radio Show. And thank you to John Nessel for sharing his heart and life with us as well. And also, thank you to my dear friend Franny for sharing her testimony. If you enjoy the Solution Radio Show, please tell your friends about it. If you're in the Chicago area, you can listen on 1280 AM at 10 AM Sunday mornings. Or if you're not in the area, you can always go to the Solution Radio Show.com and you can listen to all the previous shows there. Uh, please feel free to send the link along to your friends through an email, a text, or through social media. Also on the website, there is a page for upcoming events. If you'd like your event listed, you could send the information to info at thesolutionradioshow.com. And a reminder that our praise line is always open 24 hours a day, where you may call in and give a testimony of God's working in your heart and life. The number for the praise line is 844 705 3410. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show. We'll have more information coming up in the near future regarding that expansion and the areas that we're looking to move into. The Solution Radio Show is listener supported, both by your prayers and your financial giving. All donations are tax deductible. Thank you for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Our mailing address The Solution Radio Show, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. Once again, that mailing address, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. There is also a donation link available on our website. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are God's very best.